It's very lovely to see everyone here. It's a few new faces also. And it seems like a lot's been going on. There's been a lot going on for us over the last while. So we had a trip up to the Pacific Northwest. We, we drove up with Dennis and Claire and stopped off at Davis on our way and met uh, Amanda there and, and got a feel for the town of Davis, which is a lovely town. And then drove up to Shasta Abbey, which is just at the foot of Mount Shasta, where there's a very mature community, a Buddhist Zen community of um, Western monks. So there are women and men, and they're all known as monks there. Um, they've been going for, some of them have been in, uh, in the ropes since uh, I think 1971 was the, wow. the most senior. But there are many, most of them are in, have been. 30, 40 years in the robes. They're a real, it's a very inspiring and, and beautiful to be in their presence. They're very humble, warm hearted, kind, dedicated people and um, celibate monastics living in a kind of relatively remote monastery up in uh, Mount Shasta. And uh, when I was with them, I had a sense that they're like river rocks, you know. <laughs> All the hard edges have been worn away. Where you can see all of the colours and, the, and the, the grain of the character, but without all of the kind of sharp edges that most of us still have. And I can see that there's like living in community for a long time. You kind of you have to work through a lot of the difficulties and, and opinions and views that we all have. <coughs> you have to keep letting go and letting go and letting go until we kind of soften, but it's softening in a strong way, not in a kind of flabby way. So it was very inspiring to, to go there and, and meet them. I've been there before, just to spend a bit of time with that community and be very warmly received. And uh, then we went on to uh, White Salmon, which is in uh, Washington, just the other, just across the border into Washington State and spent a few days a couple, uh, near the Pacific Hermitage there. Um, so this is three monks living in a very beautiful little hermitage with a few acres, five acres of land, and they, they're very well supported by the local community. They didn't know when they moved there uh, that there would be many Buddhist practitioners, but once they arrived and, and started to teach, they discovered that there were many people in the town who meditated but, and who knew each other but didn't know that each other meditated. <coughs> so then they, they kind of brought everybody together and they have quite a nice uh, community that supports them. They go on arms run every day and they have very good support there in the community. So we met them and then we uh, went down to Portland and met with the board who supported them to to become established and learnt a few useful, I could say, shortcuts from the board of how to not get into too much conflict. Because uh, they pointed out that they're, uh, they're um, visionaries and uh, nuts and bolts people. And uh, the nuts and bolts people get really annoyed. This is like in life you know, and on the board. The, the people, the nuts and bolts people, the people who just want to get on with things and 
you know, do things step by step, get very frustrated with the visionaries because the visionaries maybe have a vision that's bigger than the nuts and bolts people can actually meet or feel that it would be possible. Then the visionaries get really frustrated with the nuts and bolts people because they feel like, come on, you know, there's, there's so much potential, there's so much that can be done and if we just stay like looking at every little nut and bolt, we're never going to get there. So uh, at first they had quite a bit of... Uh, Conflict, and then they realised that what they needed to do was to step in the shoes of the other. So the nuts and bolts people would look from the eyes of the visionaries and learn a little bit from them, and then the visionaries would step over into the shoes of the nuts and bolts people and learn a bit from them. And, and then, and in that way, they were able to work together and support each other, and they've done an amazing job, I have to say. It's very inspiring. And uh, also, while we're up there, we, we got in a few fun things <laughs> we went kayaking <laughs> and uh, we saw a I wasn't going to tell you all this but anyway <laughs> we saw a, um, we saw a heron with uh, two huge great chicks in her nest enormous great big things big massive nest and then we kayaked a little bit further and then we saw uh, an e- a, a bald eagle in her nest up on a tree and then there were quite a number of, of well we didn't know that they were young they were juvenile eagles we thought they were uh, female eagles actually but they were juvenile they were kind of brown and tawny with a little bit of white on the head but not much uh, and so we were watching these vast huge magnificent birds you know, flying and one came quite nearby we could watch it, so it kind of just go in a little bit further in on our boats and go uh, close to the logs where it was standing and just watched this great, beautiful bird. It's the first time I've seen bald eagles. Um, they're huge, magnificent birds, beautiful. And one of the like attributes of an eagle is that it has the ability to see from a, from a vast, like it can fly very high. Some of them are going very, very high. So it can see a, a, a big area from a large distance so it can have the grand vision and it can also focus down on the prey so it can have a detailed vision so uh, it has both of those qualities and you know as we were kayaking I mean we were all there in our kind of I guess they're like I'm not sure what they're made of fiberglass maybe kayaks and uh, plastic paddles and we had our little uh, what do you call those jackets? Life vests on and everything. So it's like the modern kayaking, you know. But as we were going along, I th- it gave me this sense of timelessness. I realised, you know, people have been travelling in this way along rivers and so on for thousands of years, quietly. Part of being, you know, being part of nature in that way, and seeing, you know, creatures in the way that we were seeing them. This was a normal thing at one time, and probably still is in some places. And it was such a, a, a peace and a joy, actually, to, to be in that position where one is more quietly, simply part of nature. In a, in a city, you know, it's got we're very much, it's very much mind orientated, and we're very much people orientated. And it's very different to when, you, to when a few people move out into large space of nature. And you see your place in it all. 
and as humans we're very vulnerable you know, we've, we've, we've lost a lot of the natural skills that we might have had at one time and yeah, we need a lot of support in order to get, even just to go out there for a while. So you kind of get a feel for how vulnerable we are and how vast well, nature is. For me, in some ways, it's kind of reassuring to get that perspective again because I think as human beings, we're like... Uh, we've kind of lost, lost the plot a little bit, I'd say. We've got into this grandiosity and we've believed it quite deeply that we are the, you know, the, it, that first of all, that we are not part of nature, which is a misunderstanding, and that everything is here for us and that we can control it. And we have learnt to control nature to some degree genetically modified food the way animals are farmed now like uh, as, as, a, as a commodity rather than as, as living beings and you know, medicines, surgery all kinds of things that we've learnt to do that um, give us that illusion of being in control and we've been kind of running on this one for quite a long time now this, uh, this perception of being superior in some way and, and in, in control. So, and I've also part of what has been very prominent in my heart over these last, I don't know how long actually, but it's been quite strong over the last few weeks, is the result, or the, some of the results of, of this misunderstanding that we've been operating from so Emily and I went, went to a rally outside the city hall shortly after she arrived it was very, very poorly attended there were about 40 people there it was very small and it was to encourage the divestment of government money in, into fossil fuels it was started by a student so it was a student organised some very inspiring young people there and Bill McKibben, who some of you might have heard of, he's, uh, who established 350.org about five years ago, he came and spoke. So he's been going around the country to encourage and rally people to really wake up to the situation that we are in and to not just sort of sit back and say, oh, yes, it is really, what a shame, it is difficult, and the poor polar bears, but to actually kind of really take it in and make a, a stand and to try to start to change the course of events you know, that, we've, that we've been actively encouraging at one time and, and I'd say for many people maybe more passively allowing um, more recently. So at, at one time I think you know, people didn't really understand the results of, for example, burning fossil fuels and it wasn't seen within a bigger context. We didn't have the bigger context. And uh, but over the last, well, certainly in my lifetime, you know, the the uh, trip to the moon where people first saw the planet Earth as a whole, which we have a picture of, was by a shrine. You know, people started to see for the first time, oh, it's, it's a whole planet. You know, it's not just about us and them and this border and that border and that continent. And it is one planet. 
This was, you know, 1969, it's quite a long time ago. And somehow we're very slow in really kind of getting to grips with the fact that it, it is one planet. It's a unique and beautiful planet. And meanwhile, we're still in this illusion of separation. And it's very difficult to wake up out of. But uh, if we don't, then... Uh, well, we'll see, but it, it, it will have very serious consequences. So, Bill McGibbon, he established this organization called 350.org, and the number 350 is what well, is considered a safe level of, of carbon dioxide in the environment, so 350 parts to the million is considered safe. When he started the organization, there were 390 per million. So the wish, the, the intention was to try and get it down to 350. And in about a week ago, it was announced that that, uh, that number has just reached 400. And it's no, there's no obvious indication that it's going to go down, if anything, it's going to go up. So this is... You know, part of the context within which we are living, and we are all part of it in, in our different ways. None of us are free from uh, contributing to this, and I think for most people, we prefer not to look at it because we don't know what to do, and maybe we don't really want to change our lifestyle. And there are things that you know we we know are not that great, but you know, we're going to do it anyway because there's this reason and that reason. I, I have those reasons myself. You know, my family lives in the UK and I hope I will see them again. And that will mean flying and that adds to the carbon quite largely in the, in the atmosphere. So there's this kind of dilemma of um, being part of this kind of destruction of the planet as we know it and yet not really knowing how to meet that. And also while we were in Portland, we went to, to the teaching of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. He's, he's, he was teaching there in an environmental summit over a number of days, and we just attended one afternoon talk. And he was full of, you know, he's very joyful, playful, light, and he's a beautiful spirit, and he's also addressing quite serious issues. And he particularly spoke about the importance of the feminine qualities. So this isn't about women and men, but about the qualities of compassion, of nurturing, of listening, of uh, dialogue, and how these need to be used at this time. We need to develop those at this time. And education, also the importance of education. For me, one of the, the most powerful things that happened on that day that where we went to, to visit to listen to the Dalai Lama was on the way back. So we, on the way back we were getting a ride with a family who were Buddhist and who, would, who go to the Pacific Hermitage that we'd visited. And there was a, a couple with a, with a daughter, 11-year-old daughter, and her friend, 11-year-old friend. And so I was talking with them as we walked along and asking them how was it for them <laughs> going to hear the Dalai Lama speaking about these things and they're oh you know he's really great he's awesome Dalai Lama he's so cool you know <laughs> and then and then what about you know what he was talking about and 
And they were saying, yes, you know, it's really great that he's speaking about it. They're kind of being a little bit polite, actually, with me, because I'm a nun, you know. And, and then I said something on the lines of, it, it's such a big thing, you know, we don't really know how to meet it, and we have to be able to feel the sense of fear and, and grief that arises when we look at the situation that, we've, that we're all in together. And this one girl turned to me and she said, and anger. And I was very touched by that. And I thought, she's 11 years old, this girl. And she's, her inheritance is that she's being, been born into this world at this time, which is looking really serious. And her father at one point said, you know, it's so good that the, the girls are interested to come to something like this because they are the future, they are the, they are the change. And as he said it, I thought, surely shouldn't we be the change? You know, shouldn't we be doing something about it now, rather than letting them, waiting for them to grow up and age, you know, when it's already maybe too late. So, and these girls were very conscious of the situation they were living in, very consciously growing up, very consciously in this situation of, of inheriting quite a big mess, and not knowing, as just as we don't know what to do with it. I don't know, but I, I, my feeling is for many people of our kind of generation, we know about it, but we can forget about it. We can look the other way for long periods of time. And for somebody that age, they can't forget about it. It's very, very present. And, and that's a, a, really a good thing. It's something that we can learn from because it is present. This is the context that we're living in. So, as we were sitting in the meditation, this was quite um, strong in my heart. And I do feel, you know, feel kind of quite emotional about it. It's, it's a very big thing, and I was just sitting like, well, what to do, and how do how how does the Buddha's teaching come into this? Because you know, there, there are practical things one can do, and there are certainly many petitions to be signed, which I signed plenty of. And, uh, but somehow we need to allow it into consciousness enough that it will move us to, to do something. And I know that there's, there's certain, there can be a fear of that, or a resistance to that, or uh, maybe... You know, knowing that that's kind of uncomfortable. I don't really want to have to go there. And uh, this is kind of like, this is a bit like not acknowledging the fact that we will one day, that this body, this particular body that we have now will one day fall apart. You know, that's just a fact. So, like not acknowledging the bigger picture is, is like not acknowledging the truth of the way things are. And it is a relative truth, you know. It is the the world and, and us as sentient beings and separate beings is a relative truth. We're sensitive and uh, vulnerable <coughs> as as uh, having been born into this world. And you know, the Buddha is pointing to the the truth of of impermanence, change, or flux, and the truth of of no self. So, you know, that is ultimately true. There is no self. There is this process that we're all in, or, or are not in, <laughs> however you want to look at it. That is, the, uh, that is 
truth and there is also the truth of, of these sentient beings who feel and influence each other and have and affect each other so I think for myself as a, as a Buddhist for quite a number of years I went to well before I was a, a nun I was very much in that relative truth of, and very conscious of the effects that human beings were having on the planet I often used to think that this planet Earth would be a much better place if we didn't have human beings on it um, but over time I've come to really appreciate the human race fortunately because <laughs> we are kind of a marvellous you know, we're, we're a marvellous manifestation and we have great potential incredible potential and there is a lot of, of good and, and beauty that I see again and again you know, in people here who come here and also when we go out on the street it's, it's, it's surprising it's amazing how many acts of kindness and consideration and, and um, respect that I see, not just to, I don't just mean towards me as a nun, but to people, to each other. Many. And it's very beautiful. And it's part of our purpose here, you know, to, as human beings on the planet, is to manifest those qualities. And also we have the, the ability to reflect deeply. So that's also part of our purpose, to understand, you know, to, to look deeply and understand the, the truth of the way things are. So the human race is not a blight. It doesn't have to be a blight on this planet Earth. Um, we have greater potential than that. But uh, it is very difficult to know what to do, how to meet it. And, you know, people can feel a sense of overwhelm or anxiety or uh, maybe self-blame when we start to really open to the, the situation that we are all in together. And the fact that our actions have influenced that and, and continue to. So... As I was sitting in the meditation, you know, I don't have an answer, you know. If don't, don't look at me waiting for an answer because I haven't got one. I wish I had, you know, it'd be wonderful, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> but as I was sitting there in the meditation, what I could see was as, is a support to opening to this truth, is to um, really bring to mind and use the four Brahma Viharas. So I was sitting there, my heart was feeling quite like. Uh, a lot of turbulence, a lot of sadness. I thought, oh, I'm going to need the tissues next week while I give the talk because I feel really a lot of sad, sorrow at, at what we, you know, what we've got ourselves into and what we're passing on to future generations. And uh, and then I was, and then I remembered like the quality of loving kindness. You know, just bring that quality to this troubled heart at this moment. And. As I bring that, I have to do it again now because it's feeling a little turbulent again. But you know, as I bring that, it it uh, it doesn't. It's not like sugar coating. That's not what metta does. But it's it's an acceptance and an easing and a kindness with things as they are. So as I bring that quality to my my troubled heart, then I feel like it, it starts to calm down, starts to be soothed, and 
with soothing there's more clarity. So it's not soothing everything away. There, there, it's all right. Everything's fine. Don't need to worry about it. Don't think about it. It's not like that. But it's about letting the heart settle enough that there can be more ease and clarity. And then bringing in the, the quality of compassion. And compassion is about feeling with, is about taking in the suffering of another and feeling with that suffering. So, you know, once we start opening to this big picture, it's pretty vast. And we can, you know, our hearts can break. You know, we have to be careful not to uh, overdo it. But to just take in part of the picture and really feel with it and allow yourself to feel the, the suffering, the trembling. It's actually okay to let your heart break. It can be a good thing. But don't let your mind break. Don't go crazy over it. So really just like with the support of the metta, then there's the possibility for the compassion to arise. It's not anger. It's not, it shouldn't be that way. But it's like, it shouldn't be that way and it is that way. So it's like a sense of acceptance, not acceptance in a passive way, but accepting this is the way things are. And then I didn't really get to Mudita actually in my meditation. I kind of jumped over Mudita. Mudita is like um, having a sense of appreciative joy or altruistic joy, joy for others' well-being. But I think if I were to go there, then I would feel the joy of that river that we kayaked down. And the joy of the heron with her two huge chicks. And the joy of the eagles as they soared in the sky. And the joy of those 11 year old girls who in the, in the times when they're not angry about the situation they're in have you know, a life and interest and aspirations and that uh, you know connecting with those qualities and that gives me a sense of like you know I don't just want to give up I don't want to say oh it's all hopeless I want to see you know how can I make how can, what can I offer, what can I do or offer or renounce perhaps that can give, give joy to others, give safety to others, give a sense of well-being to others. So I think it's very, very important to connect with that, that mudita actually, even though I didn't in the meditation. You know, and the mudita, I mean, for me, like the mudita of a forest, of an old forest, which has been allowed to grow in its natural way, not a, not a um, sustainable forest for making printer paper, which is a different thing altogether, because uh, there isn't really the time for um, a whole ecology to evolve in a forest like that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a monoculture. But the, the mudita of, a, of an old forest that's been allowed to grow and develop in its own way, that has 
you know, probably billions of different life forms that are part of it. And the Medita of also quite a number of our of our supporters recently have had babies. And you know, it's kind of a mixed bag, isn't it? Because you're bringing children into the world at this time. And what are you bring them into? And but at the same time that I'm seeing really, really good people who have good ethics and will will know how to bring their children up well, bringing children into the world. And then there's a real sense of mudita also with that. You know. These kids are getting a really good start, best as you can get, really. And at this time, so it's, I feel like it, to to bring those things to mind are really important because that gives a sense of like purpose and uplift and generosity and love. And this helps to you know, keep the heart open and buoyant and, and keep a sense of purpose and meaning. So it's very important. And then the fourth of the Brahma Viharas is equanimity. So one might think that equanimity is, is uh, like a sense of indifference and not really caring or noticing or being attentive to. But uh, equanimity is a is um, it's also one of the enlightenment factors. So indifference is definitely not a factor of enlightenment. So if you if you're thinking equanimity means it doesn't really matter, then you know you, you haven't quite got it tuned in right. But equanimity is is partly it's like having the broad view, seeing like the eagle when it's soaring really high. Is like the equanimity, seeing that, seeing the broad view, seeing the whole picture, and the reflection that the Buddha gives us on equanimity is the reflection on karma. So he says, "I am the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, I inherit my karma. I am related to my karma." Or I was, I was looking up the Pali recently. It also means bound to. Attached to my karma, um, I dwell within my karma. I abide in my karma, and the and the results of of what I do will be my home. And all actions. So karma literally means action within. In the Buddhist term, it means action with intention. So it doesn't mean what what we receive so much as what we do and, and the intention behind what we do. All action with intention, whether it's skillful or harmful, of that we will be the heir. So this is a powerful reflection and this is uh, what the Buddha gives as a reflection on, on upeka, equanimity. So that's recognising you know, when we feel like it shouldn't be this way, it's wrong or... It's like this, you know, that everything that we're experiencing in this moment is the result, or maybe not everything, but what is a coming together of, of past karma. This is the, what we call the vipaka karma, the result of past karma. And you know, if we think about, if we're caught in the, the way of thinking of, of, of being separate, solid people, then it can feel a little bit kind of stuck 
you know, I'm just stuck with this karma because it's what I've done in the past. But the, the beauty of the teaching on karma is that it's, it's, a, it's a constant process. So, you know, whatever we meet at this moment, whatever we ha- whatever situation we're in at this moment, how we meet it will determine how it evolves. So, we don't really know whether there's time to change the course of events that we've set rolling in terms of the you know, the warming off of the planet and the increase of carbon and and the, the kind of runaway greed that is motivating all of that. We don't know whether we can change that or not yet. And we don't know that even if we did manage to change it now, whether it would be enough. We don't know. But we can at least open our minds to it, to the situation that we're in, open our minds to our part in it, what we're doing and what we can do to change that so the, the reflection on karma it's like um, it's like accepting, understanding knowing things are this way You know, I, I'm inheriting this because of my personal karma and the collective karma of the human race, it's both we're not just separate individuals and my intention my speech and my action influence a part of the, the, the change of how things will evolve in the future so that isn't saying that there's any guaranteed outcome and there never has been for anybody but it's meaning we have a choice in how we meet the world so first of all we need to become conscious we need to allow this into consciousness and then we need to really bring in the qualities that will support the opening to this vulnerable situation we find ourselves in as human beings and and then look at how can we best meet this so I think I, I didn't I started saying sometime earlier that before I was a nun and when I sort of lay when I was quite engaged and interested in and engaged and sensitive to the environmental situation. And then as a nun I pretty much put it all on the shelf for many years, about twenty years almost. And I I held a much bigger picture in my mind, which is also true. Which is, you know, like in the, if you read the suttas, the Buddha talks about the world um, the world expansion and world contraction and many world expansions and contractions so, so, so I understand that as you know it, it could be like the, the, this physical world or it could be the arising of different planets or it could be the different eras that this planet Earth has been through you know where you know, the ice age and there's been whole species wiped out huge enormous changes that have happened meteors hitting it all kinds of stuff's been going on already volcanoes and you know it's been a whole turbulent process going on and it still is 
and so I, I was for a long time just living in that view of you know I was still I still had some sensitivity to how we met our experience but it was very much held in the view of well you know it's all changing anyway and you know the world is going to fall apart anyway at some point that's how it is you know that's how it's made and that is true but um, I feel that to hold just that view is, is kind of unbalanced because that is true and here we are in this situation so you know the Buddha did speak about the ultimate truth that everything is in a state of flux and the relative truth that a human being needs to needs uh, nurturing, needs food, needs to be cared for when they're sick. That we that we keep the, the ethical precepts so that we don't harm ourselves and others. And this is paying attention to the the immediate and the sentient. So so I you know I want to just also bring in the 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 reality of the transience of all of this and that on an ultimate level everything is okay but on a sentient level things are seriously not okay so uh, I think the the story comes to mind of the when the Buddha is um, wandering and he goes to where there's a group of monks who are living together and there's one monk who's who's very sick with dysentery and he's lying in his own excrement. He's obviously been lying in his own excrement for a number of days. He's sick and dirty and abandoned by the other monks. And and the Buddha asked them, well, why, you know, what's going on with this guy, with this monk here? Why aren't you taking care of him? And, and they say, well, you know, he's really sick. He can't even go on arms for him. He can't do anything. He's useless. So we're just leaving him. We just leave him. He's of, he's of no, no use. He can't do anything. So then the Buddha asks his attendant, please get me some water. And he gets some water and he bathes this monk himself. And, you know, cleans, takes the dirty sheets away and gives him clean sheets and takes care of him with his own hands. And then he says to those monks, you know, you must take care of the sick, your sick monks, fellow monks, because when you leave the home life, you don't have a family who will look after you anymore. So we have to look after each other. And to me, that's a very clear message. You know, the Buddha gave detailed instruction on contemplation of death and the fact that we all die and the body decomposes and it's just made up of, you know, these elements or these flesh and bones and blood. And he gave very detailed teachings on this. And on on the the, the um, different ways of, of looking at or approaching anatta or no self, he gave very detailed teachings on this. But this didn't negate the fact that when somebody's sick and and in need of help, that we should help them. So I see this as a very similar analogy you know, to that now we we're in this you know we have this planet that is that is. Sick, sick through our, through the poisons that we've put it out, you know, which are motivated by greed, hatred, and delusion, which are in themselves poisons. So you know that that is that is the situation we're in, and we could say, well, it doesn't matter because everything's going to die anyway. It's all going to arise and cease anyway. 
But that isn't what the Buddha was pointing to. He was pointing to the care of of the sentient realm within the context of understanding the ultimate. So, So we have to kind of keep in mind both. Somehow, we have to kind of make the mind big enough to take in both and not take a position on one or the other. And to remember, um, in, in the midst of all of that, to have the mudita, to look at the, the potential and the possibility and let that gladden our hearts in the midst of this work. And maybe also we need to ask for forgiveness. I don't know how you resonate with that. But sometimes when I see what's going on, not that I've directly done something myself, but I just see something really horrendous going on and I just kind of can't help but say, you know, please forgive me. Because we're, we're all part of the human race. We're all kind of in this together. And, and we are all we, you know, we all, we do all have a part in what's playing out. And because of that, we can all have a part in how it can transform. And even if we don't, uh, you know, even if that monk that, that the Buddha bathed, you know, died of dysentery a week later, but that he was taken care of and bathed each day, and knew that he was cared for, then that's all okay. But if we neglect and uh, turn away from that which needs our care, then you know we're not really. We're not living up to our human potential and we're certainly not following the, the Buddha's instruction. So, that uh, is the sharing from my heart tonight. And I hope that uh, your hearts also open to all of this, even just a little bit and then a little bit more. And that you look at the, at the ways that you can also influence the people around your own life and the people around you and the wider environment thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate